Hello and welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. I'm your host Ben Porter and I am joined this evening by Tristan Hall and Mark Chaplin. What are you gents up to? Hello there, uh, I'm Tristan and uh, I'm currently in my kitchen on my laptop between <laughs> photoshopping adverts for Board Game Geek about Lifeform. Um, <laughs> I've just had a curry. I'm having my uh, one beer of the week because I'm watching my carbs this month. Okay. And uh, I'm having a lovely time reading comments from our, our lovely backers. Yeah. So um, that that was a lot of information there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Tristan is on more, yeah. in his capacity as a game <laughs> designer and publisher, uh, not as a connoisseur of beers and curry, in case you <laughs> don't uh, get that from there. And we're joined by Mark Chaplin as well. Mark, what are you doing? Not this very moment, but in in your professional <laughs> capacity. Well, thanks thanks for having me, Ben. It's um, a pleasure. Um, what am I doing? Well, like Tristan, I'm I'm sat at home in my office. Um, again, he said, "Not what you're doing now." Yes, yeah, I know, but yeah, I can't think of anything else to say. It's, go, it's going to be one of those <laughs> interviews, well, isn't it? I can't think of anything. Obviously, it's an intoxicating whirlwind, um, the Kickstarter, and it sucks in all time, money, and life. So uh, I can't really think about anything other than um, the board game. But I guess that leaves off as we as the days roll on. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so Mark, Mark is the designer of Lifeform, and I'm the publisher in this project. Which is, is that, that that's what you wanted is it <laughs> yeah, clear? yeah well we got there so that's okay we got there in the end <laughs> so th- this is the first time where you're purely a publisher isn't it tristan it is yes i've yeah, got a different hat on it that's is it. it's a different shape of hat um not just a publisher but a big fan as well um i've loved Mark Chaplin's work for years now, so it's it's a very exciting opportunity for me to get involved and help realise such a cool game. You know, I've been waiting for this game to come out for years. I've been following his posts on board game geek and stuff. So as a fan, it's been an exciting project to follow. And then to get involved as uh, on the professional side of things, it's been brilliant to be able to sort of capitalise on the position that I'm in now, having published um, a game that did very well last year, Gloomy Killforth, and we did a second reprint of that and we we funded another game 1066 tears to many mothers which has just gone off to the printers so it's all go at the moment we're, we're firing on all cylinders to try and get um you know grow the business and this has been one of the most exciting projects yet because for the first time i get to sort of talk about the game life form in terms of how amazing it is without sounding like a completely stuck up get who's talking about their own game because um i could be objective about stuff like that you know previously i've, I've had to say oh well you know i designed this game the artwork's great you know you should you should get involved because of the artwork because it's a very english thing to sort of um, not big yourself up too much, yeah, uh, but this time I can say, don't you? <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. Otherwise, people hate you. So, <laughs> and, and people could do that anyway. So, um, but yeah, in this instance, it's been great to be able to sort of just go. This is the game. I'm dead excited about it. Mark's designed it. I didn't do any of the art either. So, all of the assets are pretty much in place. We're going to bring the final sort of polish to it with the graphic design and get all the files print ready, the manufacturing and. And do all the sort of logistical and accounts process for for Mark's game to to become a reality. So 
Um, yeah, it's a really exciting and very different situation to be in from, from my point of view. Yeah. So <laughs> for the benefit of those who don't know Mark, what is Lifeform? Yeah, it's a um, science fiction, um, I suppose the genre will be survival horror. So it's a board game. It's um, analog. There's, there's no um, app uh, that works in conjunction with it. And it's for up to four players. Um, and it has um, hi hidden movement, as it were. There's a lot of bluffing in it. Um, and it's uh, narrative-driven, th very thematic. It doesn't use dice. Um, it's all... Uh, the engine of the game is all action decks of cards. It, it, it's an asymmetric setup so that the alien player um, has completely different um, perspective on the game than the, the crew does. There's never really been anything quite like it, um, he says, due to the fact that I wouldn't have designed it if... Um, if they had, you know, so uh, it's basically, you know, you've seen the film Alien. It's a, it's an homage to um, to that film. That's the broadest stroke that I can I can uh -huh. give it, and I hope everybody um, I hope everybody likes it. You know, you get designers angst. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you can't help it. You know, you, there's a curve of it's like a wave. I love the game. It's brilliant. Everybody likes it. And then you have a dark moment like, oh, I think the game's rubbish. And then, no, it's brilliant again. You know, it's um, it's been a real, as Tristan says, the the, um, the sea of space. It's been a sea of design um, highs and lows. So, um, but it's all in your head. You know, the game hasn't changed. You know, it doesn't get good or bad as the weeks go by. Things generally just go in a, in a positive direction, don't they? Uh -huh. so I've rambled there. Ramble. No, no. Ramble away. That's what you're here for. <laughs> yeah. It's a science fiction horror board game. As much as you can have a survival horror aspect to a board game, you know, you can only inspire so much terror or fear in um, in somebody sat around with their friends playing a board game. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> naturally, um, for me, when when I sat down with Tristan at Aircon and, and he was telling us about Lifeform, um, and I hear that it's a bunch of the crew of this ship are trapped in the ship with this this alien, the, the life form. Naturally, the comparison <laughs> I drew in my ignorance was Space Hulk, but it's very different from that, isn't it? Yes, though... Um, <laughs> yes, um, Space Hulk is scenario-based, um, but it's um, it's like the grandfather of, um, of that sort of genre, and really Space Hulk's aliens more than alien. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm glad to have the comparison because it's still a game that I would rate very highly. I've played it in the last couple of years, and I think it holds up because of its simplicity and um, you know, there's no there's no fat on that. Um, so um, no, it but it yeah, it's it's in it's in that ballpark. But um, life form is basically one scenario, and um, you're playing the whole ship. Where obviously you've just in, in Space Hulk, you've got. Um, you're, you're defending a particular room or you've got to flame um, some reactors or whatever the mission might be so um, but life form you've got one with the, the the crew players have got one objective load a shuttle with enough supplies to get off um, onto an emergency shuttlecraft and escape all the while a timer has already been set at the game's beginning so they've got 30 minutes of you know game time to use to get mm -hmm. before they get off and all the while you know that would be a difficult enough task to load up a shuttle say in 30 minutes you know in, 
you know, a huge mining starship, but also you've got the the alien creature is trying to eat them and or do other despicable things to them in the meantime. That's so, very uh, inconvenient. It is, isn't it? Of all, and just as well, the other thing that's gone wrong, there's a homicidal mining android's gone wrong just at the same point. Oh, so, good grief. Um, as you're like, really? Is this coming down the corridor? <laughs> as if I haven't got enough to worry about. Saying, wah, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah. So you, quite a few, uh, quite a few plates to spin then. Yeah. Yes. Um, but you know, it's um, it's straightforward. It's one of those games where um, the the systems, you know, the, the systems, nearly all of them straightforward. Um, but obviously, if you layer too many straightforward system once you end up with a very complex game but because of the the theme and that people um pick it up really quick you know they understand right i've got time i know what i need to do i've got a load of shuttle and i've got to get from here to there obviously that's the simplest form of it but yeah it's um people you know they they grasp what they need to do really quickly so um and you know the stress is on straight from the off for the crew anyway so uh yeah and, and- the game is asymmetrical, isn't it? In that you've got this one player playing the the eponymous life form, <laughs> this all powerful alien, and then you've got the 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 other load of players uh, playing the poor little crew members stuck in this yes. floating tin with it. Yes, I mean, yeah, it's it, it's entirely a team game. One team, like you said, is the alien creature, and the other team who win as it or loses a team they only need to have one survivor at the end of the game to win so it's not you know it's not co-op it's a it's a team but obviously one team has to uh you know they have to cooperate with each other but um yeah it's um that their actions are asymmetric the crew players obviously unlike i'd say virtually every other version of that type of scenario you know a dead space kind of we're trapped on a spaceship thing the crew to 99% of the time a space marines in you know battle dress with um plasma weaponry and what have you in this in this they're miners yes they've all got scanners and what have you they've got their wits and what they pick up on the way so um and and the worst of it is obviously if you were in the situation the flamethrowers have you know they um largely ineffective and you've got you know makeshift cattle prod shot prod uh, what have yous and um you know they're ill-equipped for the situation they find themselves in, which is um, that that's unlike most board games where they try to um, you're you're a, you're a space marine and you're firing, trying to get yourself out of the situation. So um, uh, and, and the other the other main thing that makes it unique is that there's only ever one threat. The creature never multiplies or metamorphosizes into multiple versions of itself or anything like that. So. Um, um, there's just one, one badass creature that cannot be killed um, during the 99% of the sequence of the game. You can only be killed on the shuttlecraft. That's it only if there's a fight on there. Um, and um, it's almost like a god in power, you know. Uh, but that doesn't mean the game's impossible. It's, it's, you know, it's certainly possible to defeat the alien. Otherwise, people, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't want to play the game again, I guess. So it, it is... Um, they have got a, a good deal of chance if they're proactive and work together and, you know, um, uh, think on their feet. Uh, so, um, but, but the alien itself is indestructible. The more, the more they do to um, thwart it, the more powerful it becomes. So it's almost like the opposite of normal 
bosses where you slowly whittle them down with the death of a thousand cuts, don't you? Yeah. And circle and destroy, but it doesn't work like that in this. Every time you fire the flamethrower at it, yes, you might move it away from uh, where you want to go or as it's coming towards you, but it becomes more hostile. So, um, you know, that's a decision for the crew, whether they keep doing that, but... Um, uh, hopefully people find those decisions and situations interesting. I guess the spaceship is best described really as a possibility space. You're not placing workers, you're not, you know, the spaceship is whether you, whether the players want to, and obviously the amount of playtesting we've done hundreds and hundreds of games, I've seen people, crews spend 15 minutes on the A deck because the ship's divided into three main sections, which is the front end of the starship and then like run with all their gear to the, um, the shuttle. And I've seen other games where one or two members of crew have gone straight for the engineering and, let, you know, and every permutation in between. So it's uh, you can play it any way you like. But obviously, the alien is, is trying to um, grow more powerful, cause the ship to deform in certain ways, as in, you know, power outages and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, evolving itself and also trying to drag them kicking screaming to air shafts who were uh, there's a you know there's a lot for them to uh there's a lot for them to do to get off i don't know if i've answered your question we've gone on no it's, it, <laughs> it, that's quite an interesting phrase you used about the spaceship being a possibility space because it sounds as though yeah just about every game you're going to play is going to be very different because of the i mean just through the few variations you've described there Yes, that's right. And the homicidal android both Tristan and I mentioned that is not controlled by the alien, but is controlled by the alien player. Um, that doesn't even turn up in every game. Some alien players decide they can't be, you know, I don't want to spend some resources getting that um, that strategy going. So it doesn't even turn up in every game. And um, the, likewise, you can spend you can spend time and effort the alien to evolve you know like, like the alien in ridley scott's film had life stages we haven't got uh, defined you know there's no defined oh it becomes you know from a face i go to a drone and all mm. of that we haven't got that but it can it can cocoon and get bigger and more powerful um, and better able to manage its its hand etc during the game but not every game does anybody do that so um, there's no one thing that I would say you've got to do this, you know, to work to win as the alien. And, so, and some aliens also play more of a blocking, um, uh, you know, skulking and uh, uh, sort of strategy and picking off the stragglers. But other aliens um, go right in for the kill, you know, super aggressive from, you know, they're going to run, run into the mess, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes yeah. that can work, but then obviously then that scatters all the rest of the crew in, um, you know, what one of the one game I saw that happen in, um, they'd only just really started and they didn't do a great deal. And obviously they're still learning the game. They had flamethrowers, didn't use them. The alien went in and killed two of them within the first few turns. Oof. And, and uh, they're like, oh Christ. <laughs> so, uh, one, they find, they realized what I said to them at the beginning of the game, the alien is um, uh, incredibly powerful, but the, you're not. There's no. Even though there's crew elimination, there's no. There's no player elimination. In the game. Everybody has always got a role, and we've got secondary roles at cover. If you lose your crew, but some people is a bit of a shock. Suddenly, you know, intend either one or both of their characters. Um, that doesn't happen in other games because the, it, it, theoretically, the, you know, the game can be over in 20 minutes. If the alien kills everybody, it doesn't matter if they've got secondary roles or not. They're, you know. Um, 
the, the game ends. That's one of the victory conditions for the, for the Star Beast, you know, yeah. kill everybody on board. It's, and that's another reason why it's easy for people to grasp as the alien. You go, well, I don't, re-, you know, and certainly the first few played it, they'll look at their cards and not everything, you know, there's, uh, you know, there, there's deeper ways of playing it, but it's easy to go, oh, no, I'm just going to run in and try to kill people, you know, or um, easy to t- pounce on somebody in a dark room. Anybody can sure. gather that. That's a good strategy for a slasher monster, isn't it? So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, yeah the, on the subject of replayability, obviously um, there's different uh, secondary objectives. The main objective is being get off alive. Every, that's That's... That's basic. The secondary objectives are things like uncouple the shuttlecraft's umbilicus or torch um, the life form's nest, things like that. They're all nowhere near as difficult as trying to get off alive, but they add a replayable, you know, they they make the game more replayable because you're not going to have the same secondary objectives every time. So, um, and and also the alien can lay uh, as it, it kind of with with these terror tokens it spreads fear and um, uh, terror throughout the starship and that's fueled by a deck of unique cards and each one of them ha- is bad for the crew and they all have thematic beats um, you know they've got flavor text and then a consequence that can be overcome if they you know the player who's discovered them has got that so that adds because you only but very rarely do you get through more than about 10 of those um, in a game, say. And um, so every game you'll have, oh, you know, you'll some of the, you, the cards, you come across a dead crew member that was killed before the game begins in horrific ways described. Mm-hmm. And um, there are different consequences for that. So um, uh, that, that really ups the replayability, especially, obviously, if people are in, in the zone and read out the flavor text, you know, the... So, um, you know, there's ways and means of uh, of injecting theme in, and that was that's quite a satisfying one. But obviously, not everybody. No, those cards either don't come up, or there's ways of removing the terror by blasting with the flamethrower and uh, clearing out rooms, etc., before you enter it. But that's a slow, steady process. Another strategy, obviously, for the crew. But there'll be a lot. You, you know, it's a lot easier to run through a starship heedless of all dangers than it is to go slow. But then, obviously, the the risk is you'll still be on the starship when it blows up, which has obviously happened a few times. So, um, and very satisfying for the alien when that happens too. Absolutely, the alien wins. That's for for you know those that don't know. One of the victory conditions for the alien is that. <laughs> no one's managed to escape. You know, it doesn't have to kill them all. The ship can just blow up with them all on it. So. Um, I find that just as satisfying to see than um, them them all die in horrific manner. So, uh. (laughs) yeah. So, as we speak, Lifeform uh, is on Kickstarter. Um, My first time. I beg your pardon. My my first time for a game. Your your first go at Kickstarter, Mark. Yeah, yeah, Tristan. Like you said, Tristan's a veteran at um, at Kickstarter. Yep. So, compared to Kickstarters you've done in the past, Tristan, how is Lifeform performing in terms of your expectations? Yeah, really good question. When What people might not realise listening to this is the first Kickstarter I did back in 2015 for my first game, Gloomy Killforth, um, the first time around, was a 30-day campaign and it took 27 days to fund. So it was, it was nail biting. 
it was nail biting. It was excruciating, in fact. Um, <laughs> I think I slept for maybe about four hours throughout the whole process. So, uh, so it was yeah, it was a terrifying, uplifting, sort of crazy roller coaster type experience. And I don't think I think it was pretty unique in that usually Kickstarters fund or fail fairly obviously quite early on mm-hmm. um whereas ours had this really sort of strange steady momentum um just building towards the funding goal the whole time and so it was it sort of put the trend a little bit but then when we did fund the second it funded people piled on because there's a perception with kickstarter that um if a project hasn't funded then you know there must be something wrong with it but if it has funded then okay you know you're good to go and everyone jumps in so so that was you know a very strange sort of experience for us um but everything went okay with it we we took a long time to develop the game because it had a lot of art like a lot of art and um when it finally came out and it landed it was received really well we had great reviews and um the demand was so high that our retailers asked for another print run immediately so um but at that point I was already prepping for my second game, 1066 Tears to Many Mothers, which is a one to two player card game, which is very different from like this big fantasy adventure game, Bloom and Killforth. And it was really important to me, without any business head on whatsoever, to get this next game going and to show that we, that I was going to be able to deliver different games, you know, and different really high quality games. So, um, so we launched 1066 at the time that Gloomy Killforth was arriving or had, had just dropped basically to show that we could deliver on the first game. So hopefully people would be there to back us for the second one. And the difference in funding then was incredible, you know, because we'd had the 27 day wait in campaign number one um, and then when we launched 1066 tears to many mothers that came right down it was still um i think it still took about two or three days to fund so we were still sort of um you know it was it wasn't a, a sure thing from the outset and we we launched at uk games expo as well to try and sort of create a bit of a buzz about the game as well um, and you know it worked and we got there and once we funded we were able to you know get running with the campaign which was great so by the time it's come out to project number four, which is live form, um, we funded within eight hours, which is just wow. fantastic. You know, it's it's a really lovely trajectory to be on, you know, that we have um, hopefully a an established audience in the games that whole um, or nothing my company is delivering. And B, we've got Mark Chaplin's fans, you know, who followed invaders or revolver or any of his other print and play games like aliens this time is war and the thing you know so he's got that he's got his own brilliant portfolio of games and so to bring those two sort of audiences together with um on on kickstarter uh, just seems to have really you know lit people's imagination so you know we're, we're less than two days in and we're already 150 percent funded so it's a fantastic position to be in because whatever you think of it from a financial perspective it's just that we're making fun cool games that people are happy to buy and play and i, I don't think i'll ever get over that you know that we're, we're creating things we're we're, we're making, <laughs> i don't want to sound too pretentious here but getting paid to be creative you know and and put cool projects out there it's just absolutely brilliant position to be in so i don't take a single day for granted and every single backer that comes in you know, we welcome on, on the comment section and make sure that everybody's part of this community because Kickstarter does something that um, I've never seen before. It builds 
these collaborative communities where everybody's working towards the same goal. Yeah. So, you know, if you get a split of opinion, if you get people that don't like it or whatever, they just move on. So the, the pool of people that you have as um, a team of backers is usually incredible. And, and in four campaigns, that's remained consistent that every single pe person that we speak to or that we email or message or, you know, chat with in the comment section, just seems to be like us, you know, gamers who just want to play cool games and have the same interests. They like the same movies and books and everything else. So it really is like this just amazing community um, feel, which I know is counter to uh, the examples you talked about before we, we started recording. I don't know if you wanted to get to that at some point, but um, well, we will. We will. it's, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a fantastic situation to be in. And, and we're so grateful that so many people have turned up on day one um, to share the support for the game. Mm -hmm. So yeah, on on the on the subject of Kickstarters, uh, one of the things that I did notice about Lifeform is that you don't actually have any reviews on the page, which uh, is very unusual for a Kickstarter. Was was that a deliberate choice? Yeah, no. it's, it was actually. <laughs> I'm the opposite well, to Tristan now. Yeah, well, it was, it was, um, we were obviously keenly aware of it before we launched. Um, and there are very few prototypes of Lifeform in doing the rounds, basically. Mm -hmm. But one of the, um, from my point of view, one of the sort of key influences is game designers and publishers that I follow and that I love. And they have set up a, a, a backlog of, or a catalog of amazing games that they just launch, you know, there's no uh, fanfare or um, sort of pandering to particular sort of celebrity reviewers or anything like that. Mm. Uh, if you look, for example, Ryan Lawcat, who's got an amazing body of work, he does all of the design and he does all the artwork himself as well. And his games don't generally have reviews. They're just, here's the information, here's the full playthrough video, here's the rules, here's a you know promo video, here's the artwork, and it gives you all the information and if you're a fan of his, you you just go on, you check it out, and if it's the kind of thing that you're interested, you jump in. So it sort of shortcuts that th third party kind of um, paid for reviews and stuff that you can get mixed with the not paid for reviews. I'm not saying for one second here that reviews are a bad thing, um, but this gives us a direct access to our backers with just here's the game, here's the pedigree that we've got. We've got Mark Choppin's designed it, and um, you know that. We deliver super high quality components in games and we don't scrimp on the costs of the games. So if you combine those two things together, you've got the full playthrough video so you can watch that, see if it's the kind of thing that you like. We did intend to have the full rule book uploaded before we went live. That's going to be ready soon. Our, our graphic designers are both on holiday, which is unfortunate, but that's going to be up How during the How dare they? I know, <laughs> it's taking time off. Do you know what I mean? Um, Very but there's all the information that you need. Sorry, go on. No, I was just saying it was very inconsiderate of them doing that. It was really inconsiderate. <laughs> and they'll be getting slap wrists when they get back. But, um, yeah, so so it's got all the information that you need. And, it, yeah, I guess it was a bit of a gamble not having, you know, um, a name reviewer on there saying how great it was or, any, or something like that. Um, but it doesn't seem to have held it back at all. I think the people who are interested have watched it, they've got involved, they've asked questions in the forums, you know, the things that you, they're curious about. We're going to be releasing information about the solo play. Mark's going to be doing us a full playthrough video of that. So everything you need to know about the game is on, on the page. And 
like I say, it's, it's really not held us back. So it's been interesting because it's not that we're anti-reviewer and it's certainly, you know, people have played the game. In fact, one review has gone up on, on Board Game Geek, so we'll probably be sharing that in the next update as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so people have played the game and loved it. And we haven't really courted anyone specifically to sort of go, right, we're going to build our campaign around your video, which I know a lot of very successful Kickstarters do because certain reviewers have an established audience of, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 viewers. So if you can, you know, court those guys and um, get a copy of the game into their hands, then make sure that they love it and then they share it, then you can build your campaign around that. But that's, that's really never how we've, functioned we've been lucky enough to um to to have the interest of certain reviewers in the past who who've done an excellent job of, of showing the game off but it's just happened with the timing of life form um there was a key moment that i had to wait for, for before we would launch it which i'll come to in a second but part of the process and the uh, just the calendar of its development has meant that as we've launched uh, <laughs> there are no review videos online <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the big thing that was holding me up personally from hitting go on the Kickstarter was making sure that our last game, 1066 Tears to Many Mothers, went off to print. Mm-hmm. So days before <laughs> we launched, we got all the final files boxed off and it was a big moment for me to be able to say to our existing backers, look, this project has now been taken care of. It's off to the printers, it's out of our hands, it's in the hands of the gods and it's on its way to you. And there was no way in my mind that we could launch before that. So we had to sort of manage the expectations of our existing backers and make sure that they know that all of the projects that we do are getting the love that they deserve. So that was a big um, waiting point for me that we had to to get past. Uh, that, that's, quite, um, that's quite reassuring to hear 